And there are many tax-friendly places out there. You know, you could look at places such as Dubai. We have a lot of people who set up in Dubai where there is no income tax on personal income level nor on business level. And there are other places as well, like Estonia, who has come out with an e-residency visa that gives you an digital ID where you're able to create online a business as if you were basically an Estonian resident. Um, and that is very beneficial, especially to online business owners, because it doesn't have any corporate tax rates, but it does attract a 20% distribution tax. So the systems work very differently. Welcome to the Female Leadership Collective podcast. I'm your host, Susie Clark. On this show, we're all about helping high-achieving women authentically find purpose and build fulfilling online businesses. I believe the key to happiness is channeling our talents into something that we really deeply care about. That's why I left my six-figure career in finance in London, moved to Asia, and now run my own mission-led business in paradise. I found purpose and happiness in my life, and I want to empower you to do the same. In today's world, we are so lucky in that we no longer have to work in the same office every single day. We can start our own online businesses and travel the world. On this show, I bring you examples of amazing role models who have done just that, quit their corporate jobs and successfully run online businesses. We talk through all things entrepreneurship, purpose, travel, femininity, nothing is off limits. I'm here to inspire you to spend your life doing something you truly love and make the impact you really want to make on the world. Hello, my love. So before we start today, I have a question for you. Are you a freelancer delivering insane amounts of value to your clients, but without the price tag to match? If you get really honest with yourself, you know you love your remote lifestyle, but you're just not quite where you know you can be. Every meeting with your clients, you seem to step into being their business coach, advisor, and personal therapist all at once. And I know exactly how that feels. Clients absolutely love you. They love you, but you're starting to resent them. And deep down, you just you just really want to be the entrepreneur. You know that you're meant for more than the freelancer life. And everybody says you've got so much potential, but you're just frustrated with yourself that you don't seem to be executing on it. You don't seem to be taking the action. But you know that you're more than ready to make an upgrade. And you know it's now or never. You're ready to step up from freelancer to coach, course creator, or leading a community. You're ready to progress to hiring your own team within a few months, and you're ready to finally charge your worth for your programs. So what next? Well, you already might have an idea for a course or a community. You may even have the modules mapped out in your head, but one vital thing is missing, knowing how to launch it. You're just not sure how to price it, how to package it, how to sell it. But you're now ready to call in support of a mentor who can guide you through your program launch, the funnels needed, and finally step into the entrepreneur you've always wanted to be. 
If you're a freelancer or an early stage business owner who hasn't quite cracked the code to their business fully financially supporting them and you want the opportunity to launch your own high ticket one-to-one and group programs with irresistible offers priced at a level where you know you should be all within the next three months, I invite you to work with me inside my exclusive one-to-one program and make it happen. Inside, you'll get my step-by-step strategy that I've helped countless women use to launch their own programs. I'll support you with a strong yet compassionate approach to help keep you accountable, hold you in my space. We'll be making the decisions together and up level in all areas of your business. It is my most intimate program and you get daily Voxer support in addition to our calls. Take the next step and book your scaling for growth call with me. It's a 60 minute call and we'll hop on the phone, we'll hop on Zoom and we'll map out your vision for your business. What you need to do to go from freelancer to entrepreneur and the strategies that will get you there. Tap the link in the show notes to book now. I have very, very limited availability for this month. So make sure you book now. These are the last spots before the end of the year on my one-to-one. When it fills, it's full. So make sure you snap one up as soon as possible. And now back into the episode. So today I have Kathy on. She is a former lawyer and a tax strategist for digital nomads. And I know this is such a common question and source of overwhelm for people who are looking to leave their home countries and travel and start online businesses. So we go all into things like digital nomad visas, visas in general, um, where to structure your business, the common myths about paying taxes and in your home country and all of this kind of stuff. We've just cleared it up. And Kathy is such an incredible expert on this. Um, and I know you're just going to find that conversation just so, so useful. Welcome, Kathy. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast again. So <laughs> I know that we connected back on my original podcast that we had back in 2019, and there's been an entire global pandemic in between. So welcome back on the show. Thank you so much, Susie, for having me. Yeah, it's so much has happened during that time. So I'm excited for us to catch up again. Yeah, and we were just catching up offline about how our businesses have grown since that time. So yeah, I'm super excited to have this conversation. Um, Okay, so first of all, I'll just hand it over to you to just introduce yourselves to the listeners. Just tell them who you are, what you do, and then we can go a bit more deep into your story. All right, so I'm Kathy, and I've been a digital nomad for almost four years. I'm the founder and owner of Wanderers Wealth which is an international consulting firm. And I mostly help digital nomads, expats, foreigners living abroad with their legal logistics, starting out with their international tax situation, with their residencies, visas, business structures, bank accounts, and now even second citizenship options. Mm, I know it's such a juicy episode. Everybody's got so many questions on this stuff. Um, So let's take it back because you started in corporate as a lawyer. Um, So I would love to just chat a little bit more around your journey, kind of realizing that corporate and being a corporate lawyer just wasn't for you and how you got onto this path of becoming a digital nomad because back then it wasn't so common was it so i remember i only heard about it when i read the four hour work week i had no idea what a digital nomad was 
So I would love to just hear a little bit more about that stage in your life. Yeah, definitely. So back in 2018, I had just become a junior lawyer. I was already working in law firms for three years. So I knew what the environment was like. I knew what, you know, me officially getting the documents and becoming a lawyer would look like. And basically, I also knew what my next five years would look like in that office setting of how I would work my way up, you know, from junior lawyer into properly becoming a a lawyer and then maybe a partner somewhere in the future and I also knew what I could expect in terms of how much money I would make down the line and I don't know I just it felt all very structured and the office environment just didn't always go well with me in terms of you always had to report things a certain way you always had to report things to a certain person and there wasn't much room for creativity for new ideas for hey let's do things a different way you know you've got your paralegals at reception and just it was a very structured way of how you have to do things and not much room for anything else but the thing as well was I was very dedicated person and I was literally my whole life was in the office especially as a junior lawyer, there's competition, you have to prove yourself, you have to show, you know, that you're really showing up, that you really mean to be there and that you want to climb up the ladder, as they say. And it just didn't really resonate with me. And it's honestly a pity because, you know, at the end of the day, I studied for seven years Mm. and the goal was to be able to help people in a direct way and I ended up in a position where I just felt like the monotony and just being in an office environment where I didn't even necessarily want to be like, you know, being, being put together in a place where those people might not necessarily be my friends, you know, not the people yeah. that I would choose to spend like nine or more hours a day um, in in my life. So... I just could see how my next 10 years were going to look like. And I remember calling my mom and saying, I just feel like I can already see, you know, my life till I'm 60 and it's not fun and it's not exciting. And, And I felt so bad telling her, you know, because I come from a family that is pretty academic and, you know, where my parents have always worked very hard to give us whatever we have and you know my dad has worked in the same workplace for like over 20 years and whatnot and I felt really bad telling them that but that was just that feeling was so present for me and I just I didn't have any issue with quitting and saying you know I'd rather try out something new than having to be here in this office setting where I don't feel like I'm even living, you know, I'm just yeah. like on autopilot doing things and I already know how the day is going to go. And Yeah, I, so much resonates. I think the path in banking and, and law is quite similar in the sense of like how they promote you and what you need to be doing and how you need to be seen and all of that stuff. And I, yeah, so much of what you said really lands because uh, well, I was previously in banking myself. And I, I would love to just have some context like, what made you originally choose law what was it about being a lawyer that originally kind of 
attracted you to go in to study it and start that career? That's a good question because initially I was very much in the political sphere. So I studied first international relations, did politics, was also focused on economics a lot and then ended up working at an embassy and I got into diplomacy with all of my different languages that I speak and citizenship. So it just felt like very perfect. And in my mind as well, I remember thinking, the only way for me to have an international career and to get, travel a lot whilst being a professional is to become a diplomat. I remember that that was so vivid that I thought that's the only solution for like my life path. And then I got there, I was working at the embassy and kind of same thing, you know, like it's very structural. You, I was a junior and I had to write my reports and whatnot. And I realized if I'm lucky, someone's going to read it. If not, then, you know, I've just wasted this whole week researching on a topic yeah. that probably no one's going to read. Definitely not at the very top, you know, even though I've put in so much work and effort onto the topic. And so then I decided, well, how can I really like, reach people and make a direct impact without having to go through all of these hierarchies and structures and I decided to become a lawyer and I was very much interested in becoming a humanitarian lawyer but where I ended up studying didn't really have too many humanitarian subjects so I went down the route of going more onto economics, financial law, international business and all of that. And eventually I ended up taking taxation laws and I excelled. And I also really liked it because it's kind of taxes is very fundamental thing to our society, to the way that our systems work. And I quite enjoyed it and mm -hmm. thought that I could, you know, help people within the financial system, um, acquire more wealth through understanding that it's a taxation system more. So that's how it kind of went down. Interesting. I was I was expecting you to say something different because most people typically say, you know, they were going they went into their profession because, you know, they got the top grades and kind of were funneled into it and they didn't really have a choice. But with you, it sounds like actually you did kind of you did find a part of law that you really enjoyed it was just more the method of delivery in the sense of like delivering this information through being in an office in a comp like working for somebody else and not being able to travel didn't necessarily work for you but now you know you can deliver that in a way now you have your own business in a way that allows you to travel that allows you to still help people and and gives you more freedom to kind of have the lifestyle that you want does that make sense yeah totally and honestly you know i think sometimes when we're running our businesses we don't often take the time to stop and reflect about where we've come from yeah. this is why i love this podcast episode so much because yeah truly now looking at the travel aspect that having an international lifestyle that i was striving for is very much possible with an online business and being a digital nomad that mm. i didn't even know existed you know 10 years ago when i went to school and also to be able to help people directly through online platforms. For me, it's mostly, you know, Instagram, social media, TikTok and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's, it's really what I wanted, you know, being able to create this uh, in a relatively short amount of time after having decided like, okay, I'm gonna quit my office job and I'm just gonna go for it and 
decide to go down this new path is yeah quite astonishing too yeah I love that and I think that will bring so much awareness to people listening because a lot of my listeners and a lot of my clients typically come from the banking finance law sector because so many people who become nomads often are from the marketing sector and for the people that come from the more analytical sectors it can kind of be like god what do i even do do i create a bank or like you know what i mean it can be really hard so i think your story is really inspiring for people because it sheds some light on how you can actually leverage your your profession and create an online business really out of anything and continue that path you don't have to like retrain in facebook ads like everybody does <laughs> you know um i definitely agree and with my line of work right now it's so interesting you know all the different clients that i have and seeing what they do as digital nomads what kind of online business they run and exactly what you said anybody can monetize any skill nowadays like whatever your line of zone of geniusness is you will be able to find someone who resonates with it and who you know might give you some money exchange for it yeah i can't i couldn't agree more and in a way that it works for your lifestyle okay so let's take the conversation a little bit more to like the digital nomad landscape and like what we've seen since covid's happened because from my side i've seen this huge like awakening around the world for how however tough the pandemic was there's still been this huge awakening of people towards how things can work online and how they can work remotely and how important travel is to people. These seem to be the big key themes that are going in towards the fact that there's been such huge demand in people wanting to become digital nomads and people wanting to work remotely and travel. Um, and I, I said to you offline, I was like, wow, cafe services are gonna be like skyrocketing in demand after this pandemic. But I would love to just hear it in your words, like from you, what have you seen uh, in terms of the impact and the demand to for this for this digital nomad lifestyle since the pandemic yeah it's honestly such an interesting time to be alive in general yeah. i would say you know when i started out as a digital nomad in 2018 we were sort of the outcasts you know yeah. moving to bali and running a business at the same time online people would kind of look at you like what are you doing and certainly my friends and family were thinking like oh yeah she's in a phase you know or it's her gap year let's see when she goes back to normal life let's see when she will take up another job again and whatnot whereas now it's very much commonly accepted by everybody like society really embraces digital nomadism remote workers and you can see it in the articles online on any sort of news outlets digital nomads is such a hype word you'll see it on all the headlines and whatnot which is in one way really great you know that now we're being accepted this lifestyle is being accepted and that new solutions are being designed for it in terms of you know governments designing laws new visas that are specifically targeted towards digital nomads it's such a huge progress that has been made within the last couple of years that has definitely been accelerated by covid by the pandemic and on the other hand as well 
I think more and more people are embracing this lifestyle, uh, whether they have a job and they're now able to do it online, so they become remote workers, or whether they, you know, quitting the office job because they've realized during the pandemic, actually, I don't really like it and enjoy it. I'd rather try out my side hustle and push that more and see how that goes. So it's been a very interesting time, especially during the last two years, and to be able to witness it and to be able to assist more people from all walks of life. Like, really, if you tell me now, can you paint a picture of what a digital nomad is? I can't because, yeah. you know, especially as my clients, like I've got some people who are digital nomads, they travel alone and others who travel as a couple, others who are digital nomad families and are on the road, you know, with three kids, others who come from the banking sector or in Mexico specifically, I met so many nomads who are remote workers and who are working for Bank of America, but they're doing it from an office, you know, co-working spot in Playa del Carmen or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So honestly, but it's so many people who have now joined this new lifestyle. And what's most exciting for me is you mentioned like this new awakening. And I think it's honestly an awakening of people realizing that your whole life shouldn't be just work focused. Yeah. that you can find this work and living balance lifestyle in another way and that you can choose what kind of lifestyle you want and make your work fit around it as well that's mm -hmm. what i think is the most interesting part too that you know people are really deciding you know what i actually really want to live in a warm climate let's go and move somewhere abroad and yeah. let's at the same time create income streams you know that will support our lifestyle over there or others are wanting to be closer to their families or to their parents so you know they're moving back to let's say europe if that's where they come from instead of having to live in a city life um, that they don't even want to be in unless it's not for their jobs and mm -hmm. you know the, the whole thing as well about not having to commute anymore, really being in power of how you design your own life and your day-to-day -day as well. It's really an interesting time, I think. Yeah, oh, I love talking about this. I think that um, I think exactly what you're saying, like people have realized they've had they've got a choice. There is a choice. There is there are other ways to do things. And yeah, just like you say, that people have a choice and it's not that you have to work to live you choose how you want to live and then you can make the work fit in and still have the amazing impact that you want and not have to sacrifice things if you don't want to and I I also loved that you highlighted as well that a digital nomad isn't just one type of person because that's what I love so much about it that people of all ages people of all backgrounds people of all these different countries and now you know I, I like the fact as well that even income equality can increase that just because someone is from a certain country doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be capped with what they can earn because they're from that country you know I just there's so much benefit and it almost feels so lovely because it's come full circle because we had this conversation three years ago about how amazing it was but the rest of the world you know hadn't really caught on and now it's just such a wonderful time that it's just risen so much faster and I'm sad that it had to cause a pandemic to 
caused that catalyst but it's still such a wonderful thing that people are realizing these things yeah i definitely agree and it's also beautiful to see you know how international we've become and how more we're embracing this international lifestyle i mean some nomads choose to stay in one place for a longer time others choose to stay for a shorter time and again there's no right or wrong way to do this but it's just amazing to see that we don't just assume anymore that, you know, let's say you're from the UK, you grew up in the UK and that's where you work and live and will die one day. It, there's so many more opportunities out there to be able to move around, to have an international lifestyle, to experience other cultures and places and still be able to make an income while really getting to live at the same time yeah i love that too that's such a good point and i i actually had a client in one of my group programs say oh, i just don't know you know i want to do this digital nomad lifestyle but i just don't know what month to spend here and i don't know what month to spend here and i said hold on a minute you know the beautiful part of this is you don't need a plan you can just go somewhere and then if you decide the next month you want to go somewhere else you can go somewhere else because you've set your business up in a way that like you can do that you're location independent so mm -hmm. yeah i just love all these incredible opportunities and i think one big realization you know that society has had now that digital nomadism and remote working has become so popular is that I think a lot of times in the past, we were always designed as these freedom seekers that were kind of wishy-washy, just floating yeah. around without any goals or whatnot. And people now are realizing, hold on, this lifestyle actually requires a lot of responsibility, a lot of dedication, and you know, which are all attributes that definitely us, especially who come from these corporate backgrounds already had, but now we're able to combine it with our digital nomad lifestyle in a way better way. And yeah, yeah it just feels so much more aligned in this way to integrate it in this new lifestyle than it did before. Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of the skills that people have built are totally transferable and can be leveraged for this. So it's such an exciting time. Okay, so let's, I would love to paint the picture because I hear this a lot with my clients and I'm sure you do too. People who are like, right, I'm going to do the digital nomad thing. I'm going to start doing it like next year, this year, next few months. Okay, build myself up to it. Um, I think that's when the overwhelm kicks in because <laughs> there's so much that you feel like you need to know and do properly and, you know, so... The first thing I want to touch on is visas because this can be really confusing and especially in the news recently we've seen so much about countries creating these digital nomad visas but obviously as we also know there were digital nomads before these visas were introduced so I'd love to just hear from you like your take on these digital nomad visas what's kind of the benefit of them and what are these countries trying to do and should are they useful for digital nomads over a country that doesn't offer them? I mean, there's a lot loaded in that question. <laughs> but no, it's a great <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think, you know, the number one reason for countries to offer these visas is definitely to attract human capital and to be able to raise more revenue through people who come into their countries and live there, spend money on local things and whatnot. Um, and then on the other side, 
it gives digital nomads, I guess, the peace of mind that they're actually able to work and live in one place and that they won't be disturbed. And they're usually for like one or two year long visas. So, you know, you get some time to actually be there to get to know the country. And the very interesting part about this is that some of those visas are actually coming with tax benefits. So you're not expected to pay taxes in your new host country, which again, you know, countries are attracting uh, people to move there to spend money in an exchange, they don't have to pay taxes there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the mechanism of how it works. Now, as you said before, digital nomads already existed before these visas existed, you know, and I think a lot of digital nomads who travel on a fast pace, who move around a lot, won't necessarily take advantage of those digital nomad visas because, first of all, the application requirements aren't always that easy. Like there's usually a minimum income that you need to have. In some cases, you even need to, you know, show your bank statements of the last six months. There's a lot of bureaucracy involved in that, which is the complete opposite of what digital nomads are about. Usually digital nomads want, you know, their life and business to be as easy as possible without mm -hmm. much bureaucracy without much administration linked to it so there are already a couple of uh, numbers out there in terms of you know how many people have applied and whatnot i think some numbers have come up from croatia from bahamas and and yeah, there are a couple of hundreds out there that have applied for them. I think some in the Caribbean have been especially successful, especially for digital nomad families. It seems that quite a few American digital nomad families tend to go into the Caribbeans and use like the Barbados digital nomad visa and whatnot. So definitely, you know, there is people applying for them, but I would also say there is still Quite a few people out there who still use tourist visa or other long-term visas um, to move and work and live from very popular digital nomad countries. Mm, interesting. And like, yeah, and like you mentioned as well, like the digital nomad hubs such as Bali, which is very commonly known, like Thailand, um, Mexico, they don't have digital nomad visas. So mm. it also goes to show a country doesn't necessarily need to have a digital nomad visa in order to be a successful digital nomad hub. There yeah. are other visas that people will um, use in order to move there and run their businesses from. Mm. So to so the listeners listening and thinking, okay, so what visa do I go on then if the country doesn't have a digital nomad visa? Like, What's the answer there? If the country doesn't have a digital nomad visa, I would always check what the most popular visas are that digital nomads actually use in the country and how long as well you want to stay. You know, if you're able to stay less than what the usual tourist visas would give you, then you can just pop in and hop around sort of thing. If you're planning to stay there longer term, if you're going to potentially even like trigger tax residency there, that's when you really need to be careful and look at what what other options have you got? You know, would a digital nomad visa maybe make sense if you're really planning on staying there for six months, a year, two years? 
definitely. And as well, too, we have a lot of times looked at digital nomad visas for people who, for example, Americans, who aren't able to stay longer in the Schengen zone than usual. Um, those digital nomad visas come in super handy because then you've actually got access to the Schengen zone for, you know, the next two years instead of just being able to stay there for like 180 days or 90 days or whatnot. So really depends on your unique circumstances and also what country you're trying to get access to. And mm -hmm. I always say like, it's good, you know, to surround yourself once you decide to become a digital nomad with a digital nomad community, even if it's an online community, even if it's, you know, Facebook groups or whatnot of digital nomad hubs, you'll find that seriously any digital nomad hub, you know, Bali will have an expat group and a digital nomad group. Thailand will have one. Mexico will have one, even like Bulgaria or whatnot. And you can quite quickly see, you know, what people are using. Those questions have been asked before and you will know your options that way. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. So there's a little bit of research. And I think it's just also just reminding everyone that the world is not set up in a way to like deal with this subset of people right like it's only recently has countries and governments begun to kind of recognize it as a term and even announced like even spoken about digital nomads so we're still quite behind in terms of um structure right yeah definitely and i also think you know governments are taking it to their advantage it's definitely also yeah. a marketing campaign for them yeah. like some of these visas actually existed before but they've just kind of reshaped them and put on the slogan digital nomad visa <laughs> to make it fit you know to these new remote workers and whatnot and it also honestly seems that the way that governments understand digital nomads is more in terms of being a remote worker, you know, wanting to attract professionals still yeah. like who are working for a bank, who are working in IT or whatnot, and simply doing their work from their laptop and staying in one place for a long time, as opposed to those digital nomads that really are hopping around and going everywhere. Those visas are not necessarily suited for them. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, okay, so I asked the community what questions they had for you because I knew there would be loads. And the majority were on the um, business structure and taxes side of things. And I think there's just always so much confusion around this. So, and this could be an entire like podcast series, but um, on the, so taking it back to the person, they've decided to like be, become a digital nomad. They've, they've decided to start an online business. They're not going to be going back to their home country very much how should you look at um where you should incorporate the business and and where should you be paying tax and I know it changes from person to person but can you kind of speak to that because I know you, you also speak in your con content a lot around mistakes that people make on this and people thinking they have to pay tax in their home country and they don't necessarily so I would love to just have a conversation around the tax side and where to structure the business and just just on a high level yeah definitely so the number one mistake that I see most people make is definitely you know they pack their bags they move abroad and other than them physically removing themselves from the country, 
nothing changes around their legal situation, meaning they're still contributing taxes in their home country for years and years on end. I mean, I've had people, you know, who moved abroad a decade ago and are still paying taxes in their home country. And first of all, they don't feel connected to their old home country. They will never return. They don't, you know, like the system, the government, nothing. And I'm like, so why are you still paying taxes there? And the reality is that most people don't even know that they can legally exist elsewhere, that they can go into a new tax system and set themselves up outside of their old home country. So my work revolves a lot around tax residency and making sure that people, people will um, correctly cut their ties with their old home country because usually, yes, there is like an administrative aspect to it, some bureaucracy involved where you have to fill out certain forms, where you have to inform your government that you're actually gone and where you're going as well. And then them being able to move into new tax systems and new, more tax-friendly system, which a lot of them exist out there, but people can't fully use them because they're still tied to their old home country. And so to answer your question of, you know, where to set up your business, I think it also goes back a lot to, are you willing to, first of all, cut your ties with your home country? What I experience a lot is, you know, especially for new digital nomads within the first two, three years, they're not quite sure yet. You know, they like, they want some stability. Maybe they're just at the very beginning of building up a business and it seems safer for them to still be tied to their old home country. And then after they've done it for a while, they're like, yeah, okay, like, let's be real. I'm not gonna return. This is my lifestyle. I'm gonna continue this for as long as I can. And then, you know, I think then when you've made that decision, I think it's super important to make sure that you legally set up in the best way possible. And with that being said, you don't need to continue running a business from your old home country, especially I have quite a few British people as well who you know will move to Mexico or move to Bali and they still have a UK LTD set up and they're running their UK LTD um, from Mexico or Bali and they're like yeah I'm not paying any taxes in Mexico or Bali but they're still paying you know their 19% corporate tax rate on the UK mm -hmm. LTD they're still even paying payee so their payroll and they're still paying national insurance as well things that they might not even ever use you know they just continue paying into the system so then it comes down to being able to close down your business which is possible and which you can do you definitely will need you know an accountant who knows how to do that stuff and then being able to set up a new business in a new more tax friendlier environment and there are many tax friendly places out there you know you could look at places such as Dubai we have a lot of people who set up in Dubai where there is no income tax on personal income level nor on business level and there are other places as well like Estonia who has come out with an e-residency visa that gives you an digital ID where you're able to create online a business as if you were basically an Estonian resident. Um, and that is very beneficial, especially to online business owners because it doesn't have any corporate tax rates, but it does attract um, a 20% distribution tax. So the system's 
work very differently. Um, you know, it's not the typical business tax rate that you pay. It's there's more to it in terms of how you run the business and how you're able to run it most tax efficiently. Mm. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it of, you know, how people just need to realize that there's actually better systems out there where they could be running their business from and where it's also easier. Like I see sometimes people who are, you know, who, from high taxing Western countries, what I call them, that just have a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of bookkeeping and accounting. And it takes some entrepreneurs like a full day every week of just doing their bookkeeping, of staying yeah. on top of the invoices, their receipts and everything. And I'm like, that's so much time that you could be spending in your own zone of geniusness. And even better if you could set up your business in a place that doesn't even require that of you or that gives you easy solutions like an app where you can literally just take a picture of every single thing and it records it automatically and then spits out at the end of the tax year a done for you tax form, you know, like just because you're used to one system in which you maybe might have grown up doesn't mean that there aren't better solutions out there. So I definitely encourage people, you know, to go for those systems that will embrace being an entrepreneur and will embrace running online businesses. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's such a, an important point, like so many people don't realize. Um, I think just a, a side branch from this where people get stuck as well, and I hear this a lot, um, is around so the business is one thing but then your own personal bank account and where you pay your like you know pay for your life and things like that there are like there's a difference between those two things and I know that lots of people move to countries and then they keep their home they they almost like use the currency of their home country and just like convert every time and take money out of an ATM and things like that how like how do you see those two separate things like paying yourself from this entity that you set up and can you speak to like what's good practice in terms of paying yourself and your your bank account and currencies around that um yeah definitely i think something that is worth mentioning is that you know with digital nomadism being embraced more it, new solutions have come up in terms of banking solutions in terms of healthcare solutions that embrace this new lifestyle and i think a lot of us will have already heard about wise formally transfer wise revolute which has made our lives so much easier in terms of being able to move money around and you know even if you're in a foreign country being able to pay, pay your landlord who doesn't necessarily have an international bank account so you kind of take the burden but you're able to do it without them even noticing how you're moving money around or even paying team members who are in another country through those platforms definitely huge lifesavers to be able to have some online bank accounts like that that support you having multi-currency accounts so that you can have accounts in different uh, currencies and then as well in terms of paying yourself and how much very much depends on what your income is you know whether you're bringing in half a million or whether you choose at the start and um making fifty thousand per year 
it's something, a discussion that you also should have with your accountant in terms of what's common practice, you know, it, does it look reasonable on your accounts to pay out yourself 2000 every every month or maybe it's even 5000 and in some cases it might even be a combination of salaries and dividends which usually salaries are given out on a more regular basis like on a monthly basis whereas dividends usually are on an annual basis or even sometimes quarterly basis depending on the on your profits so and it's well, there are some uh, business entity formations, like the UK has one um, partnerships, UK partnerships, where those entities, they're kind of a hybrid, they're like a flow through entity. So you, the money that the partnership makes flows through directly to you. So there is no need to have a salary or, you know, to have kind of a dividend because the money that the partnership itself makes, which is yeah, a different entity, goes through to you personally at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it kind of depends on where you set it up, what the common practices are there. That's why I also recommend usually talking to accountants who can guide you of what looks normal and what common practices are and then also what sort of entity you choose yeah yeah there's so many there's so many pieces to it isn't there because I think from the tax point of view it's kind of like okay it makes sense to set the company up in wherever but then at the same time like if I'm not in my home country anymore do I need to be personally paying tax that's like it's almost like two two scenarios yeah. you need to think about and it can get so complicated yeah definitely but i also think you know it's a huge advantage um that we have especially us people who come from residency-based taxation systems such as the uk such as australia such as canada everyone but america you know that's a huge advantage because you're able to become a non-resident get out mm -hmm. of the system and get into systems that are way more beneficial you know i've mentioned dubai there's panama there's even caribbean islands the typical ones that we know where you're literally not required to pay any taxes whereas if you're from a citizenship-based taxation system such as the us you can't really get rid of your tax obligation you will forever be tied to it so definitely you know there's a lot of moving parts to it which is why i'm so focused on the tech strategy side you know people will come to me and feel completely overwhelmed with all of the moving pieces and i'm the one who usually puts it together and comes up with look this looks like a good solution for you um but it is also a huge advantage to be able to get out of the tech system that you were formally in and become a tax resident in a new place yeah yeah thanks for bringing attention to that um so to wrap this up because we've only got nine minutes left and there's a little quick fire round at the end but to wrap this conversation up around taxes and visas and business structures and things what would be your kind of like overall piece of advice to someone who is in this situation about to start feeling quite overwhelmed um just what would be the first thing you would say to them i would say to stop feeling overwhelmed and really see the potential of 
how they can actually make the system work for them. Even though as you identified correctly, you know, there's so many moving pieces. There's the business aspect, there's the personal tax aspect, there's banking aspect and visa aspect. Um, you can really, if you're able to have an international lifestyle, take advantage of better systems that are out there. And, you know, I mentioned the commonly known tax havens such as Dubai, such as Panama, but the reality is that there's new places that are popping up that are giving tax incentives specifically to foreigners, because believe it or not, we're in a society, especially in the Western world, where the population is aging. So what countries want is, you know, new young people who are professionals who can make an income without needing to rely on the system. And therefore, what they give in exchange is usually tax benefits. So Portugal is a very commonly known one where lots of digital nomads are going, where you can get a 10-year special tax treatment. Even Italy has one, Greece has one now. So these systems are available to you if you're able to, you know, move around and set up your residency elsewhere. And I would really try and shift my focus towards the fact that there are solutions that will really benefit you in the long term and that will even allow you and your business and, you know, even your family, if you do have a family, um, to grow and expand your wealth at a much quicker rate than what you would usually be able to do back at home. Mm, yeah super insightful I think I love that you kind of shed some light on government's intentions because I think we can so easily get caught up on thinking that government's um, main intention is for everyone to pay as much tax as possible but actually there are also some like other um, goals or problems they're trying to solve through the through mm -hmm tax strategy I suppose so yeah thanks for shedding some light on that so okay so for the last five minutes I normally do a quick fire round at the end and we haven't really been speaking on this angle as much around you know how you built your business and things like this but since the audience are women who are building their own online business I always ask every entrepreneur how they got their first 10 sales Yes, that's an interesting one. So for me, it started out with literally just telling people what I used to do in my former job. And the reality is that I don't have a usual digital nomad trajectory. I very much became kind of a digital nomad by accident. So when on my first visit to Bali, I actually still had my old office job. It was just a holiday. And then I happened to meet a couple of entrepreneurs and they asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, you know, in my office job, I am a tax lawyer. And they were like, oh, my God, like, I need your help with my tax situation. What should I do? And I listened to their stories and I was like, actually, I think I can help you. I think I have the solution for you. Let's talk about it. And the more people came, the more I was like, I think I can build a business of this and I should start charging people for this. And that is when I realized I could build up a business and I went back home and quit my job and you know, took off from there. Yeah. But yeah, so I honestly think my first sales came from just telling people what my expertise was in, what I could contribute to, you know, helping them solve with their current problems was in. And I think 
a lot of it was also around referrals and mm -hmm. a lot of people don't really appreciate the power of referrals you know if you can produce real solutions to a person's problem they will tell someone else for sure and usually it's you know their friends who have similar circumstances like that who are also digital nomads and who might also run businesses and mm -hmm. it's it's like a snowball effect and one that is very much underrated. It was only till later for me that I started doing social media. Yeah, I love this. It sounds like such a natural progression for you. Um, okay, so the second question is what sets women apart as leaders? Oh, that's a very interesting one. What sets women apart as leaders? I think there's many different um, talents and skills that women have and that we're able to you know juggle more things and also be able to maybe integrate better and faster into this digital nomad lifestyle because there are so many aspects to it you know you have to be running a business maybe you're traveling so you have to run your travel schedules and at the same time you have to take client calls and do your zoom meetings making sure that the wi-fi is working so i think in that terms we're probably very well equipped to handle those sort of situations and to juggle all things around and I would also say that a lot of times I see a lot of women who just go for it, you know, who yeah. just have a lot of courage and are so enthusiastic about what they do and they're not scared of sharing it with the world um, because there's nothing to lose really, you know, there's, and they have quite loud voices as well and are able to share it with the world. And I think that's really admirable with all of my female clients that I've seen and to see what they do. I'm like, this is really impressive. And I'm so proud of you, you know, for sharing it with the world, whatever message you have to share with them. Yeah, I totally agree. Once someone taps into that, like intuitive, um, mission of their whole being and they execute on it it can just be so powerful and I yeah I totally agree with you okay last question is your number one tip for overcoming fear in business I would say to not give too much weight to other people's opinion mm. to other people's judgment I think a lot of times we hold ourselves back because we think about what might other people think about what we're doing? What might they say if they see a video of me where I'm speaking up about my zone of geniusness? We care too much about other people's opinion when in reality, no one really cares about what you're doing. Or maybe, you know, it's one second of their lifetime that they're going to scroll through on Instagram and then they go to the next one and don't even really pay attention. So I would just say, put that aside, realize that everyone's doing their own thing. Everyone's finding their own path and that you will find your crowd, people that will eventually celebrate you and, you know, surround yourself with the right kind of people. So you don't even have to worry about that, those that have judgments, that hold judgments against you. Yeah, such an important point. I, I can reflect on this at the, the very start. I was so worried about that as well. And then it's like later down the line, I look upon that and I'm just like, that was just so insignificant now, if that makes sense. Okay, so Kathy, thank you so much for coming on. Where can the listeners find you? Um, where can they find the, your programs? Where can they see your content? If they want to work with you, give all your links and I'll put them in the show notes. 
Yeah, so I mostly hang out on Instagram and I really enjoy any conversations through Instagram DMs. And my handle is at wanderers.wealth and uh, my website is wanderswealth.com. I also hang out a lot on TikTok and yeah, just shoot me a message and I'll get back to you amazing thank you so much for giving your time today to such a important and amazing conversation thank you so much for having me Susie I've thoroughly enjoyed this hello my loves I have a question for you are you a freelancer delivering insane amounts of value to your clients but without the price tag to match if you get really honest with yourself You know you love your remote lifestyle, but you're just not quite where you know you can be. Every meeting with your clients, you seem to step into being their business coach, advisor, and personal therapist all at once. And I know exactly how that feels. Clients absolutely love you. They love you, but you're starting to resent them. And deep down, you just just really want to be the entrepreneur. You know that you're meant for more than the freelancer life. And everybody says you've got so much potential, but you're just frustrated with yourself that you don't seem to be executing on it. You don't seem to be taking the action. But you know that you're more than ready to make an upgrade. And you know it's now or never. You're ready to step up from freelancer to coach, course creator, or leading a community. You're ready to progress to hiring your own team within a few months, and you're ready to finally charge your worth for your programs. So what next? Well, you already might have an idea for a course or a community. You may even have the modules mapped out in your head, but one vital thing is missing, knowing how to launch it. You're just not sure how to price it, how to package it, how to sell it. But you're now ready to call in support of a mentor who can guide you through your program launch, the funnels needed, and finally step into the entrepreneur you've always wanted to be. If you're a freelancer or an early stage business owner who hasn't quite cracked the code to their business fully financially supporting them and you want the opportunity to launch your own high ticket one-to-one and group programs with irresistible offers priced at a level where you know you should be all within the next three months, I invite you to work with me inside my exclusive one-to-one program and make it happen. Inside, you'll get my step-by-step strategy that I've helped countless women use to launch their own programs. I'll support you with a strong yet compassionate approach to help keep you accountable, hold you in my space, we'll be making the decisions together and up-level in all areas of your business. It is my most intimate program and you get daily Voxer support in addition to our calls. Take the next step and book your Scaling for Growth call with me. It's a 60-minute call and we'll hop on the phone, we'll hop on Zoom and we'll map out your vision for your business. What you need to do to go from freelancer to entrepreneur and the strategies that will get you there. Tap the link in the show notes to book now. I have very, very limited availability for this month, so make sure you book now. These are the last spots before the end of the year on my one-to-one when it feels it's full. So make sure you snap one up as soon as possible.